When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturer of the finest knife heat treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. So welcome to another episode of Knife Talk. Now it's been a while, but I'm back with another season of interviews with knife makers, bladesmiths from all around the world. Now today's guest is another one of those just brilliant young bladesmiths showing us old folks how it should be done. And it's Will Stelter from Stelter Edgeworks. Welcome to the show, Will. Hi, Craig. Thanks for having me. Not a problem. It's really good to be speaking with you. So for those that don't know you, they aren't aware of you or they haven't seen your work, give us that elevator pitch. Describe your work to us. Um, well, I've been making knives for about five years now. Um, I got into forging uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, and I'm specializing in, in chef's knives, which I, I learned the geometry and everything about those from Daniel O'Malley, who's the owner of Blade Gallery. Hmm. Okay, cool. So, I mean, you, you've been forging for five years, you say? I've been I've been knife making for five years. I started Jesus. off doing stock removal, and then I moved into forging uh, in in November of 2016. Right. Okay. Okay. And did I see recently that you've just become an official business, an LLC? Did did I was that you? Yeah, that was uh it was, that right. happened two days ago. I'm I'm very, very, very happy to have that done finally. Yeah, that must be really exciting, you know, the beginnings of something that will well, hopefully keep you busy for years to come. Yeah, that's the plan. We'll see. Hmm. So so what's that procedure there in the US for registering as a business? Oh man, you know, it's it's quite a process. Um I tried to do it all by myself, um, and I was just you know, I spent like a couple hours just looking over all the legal paperwork and hmm. stuff like that. There's a there's an online process for it. Um, I just really didn't know what I was doing, um, and so I don't know if you saw on my Instagram. I just moved into a new shop and uh, an apartment, and the landlord of that shop um, is actually a lawyer, um, and oh. he <laughs> helps people out with filing their LLC paperwork quite a bit. <laughs> um, and so he was able to help me out with that and really streamline the process and uh, kind of took the weight off my shoulders on that. Uh, Cool. which was just really, really fantastic. And he did it really quickly and he did a fantastic job. It, it all looks, it all looks great. So cool. cool. I mean, that's the last thing you want to be doing. So bogged down with paperwork and, you know, jumping through hoops. It's not good for anyone. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. <laughs> so, so you've been making knives for, for five years, you say. So was that, mm-hmm. was that encouraged in school? Um, not really. Actually, well, I shouldn't say that the first ever knife work that I did um, was I put some handle scales on a 
uh, on a blank that I bought off Amazon. And I did that in my school's wood shop, which hmm. uh, took some convincing of the <laughs> school's principal to let um, a kid bring, I think it ended, it was like a nine inch Bowie knife. Wow. Um, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And, and so um, I brought that into the wood shop and I made some walnut handle scales for it and some, I think I did purple heart pins. They were, they were awful, but uh, <laughs> that's what really, really got me hooked into it. Um, so yeah, yeah, I guess I, they didn't really like encourage uh, people to, to work with their hands so much. They had a wood shop. It was all right. Yeah, well, they had a wood shop. That that's a, that's a thing. I know plenty of schools now that don't even have that, which is which is scary. It's just that that's not it's not good at all. Mm. Um, I think we should definitely be encouraging people to work with their hands and go more into trades. Than uh, everyone's encouraged to go and you know get into business nowadays or whatever. But we definitely need welders and mm. all kinds of stuff that people aren't encouraged to do so much anymore. Exactly. Exactly. So. So, so how did you learn? I mean, if you've been doing this for five years, you're obviously very young at the time. You know, mm-hmm. how, were you, how were you learning? Did you have a mentor at all? So I started off in the first couple of years, and it was, it was pretty rough. I was basically just watching YouTube videos. I was only spending a couple hours a week at it. Um, and then I think it must have been in, no, in, no, it was in January of 2016, I was watching Forge and Fire. Um, and I saw uh, a guy named Salem Straub and he, mm. he went back to his home forge and it zoomed in on Tenasket, Washington, um, which is this tiny little town, middle of nowhere, North central Washington. Um, but it's the same town that my uncle lives in. Uh, and so I looked up Salem and I was like, Hey, um, just saw you on forge and fired. Great job. Um, I'm planning on visiting my uncle in a couple of weeks. Would it be cool if I swung by the shop and said hello? And he was like, yeah, that'd be great. And so um, we get it all sorted out and I go and visit him and he offers to fire up the forge and te- teach me how to forge a knife. Fantastic. Just, just incredible. Hmm. So generous of him. Um, and since then uh, he has uh, put up with my constant <laughs> questions and stuff like that um and i get and i go over and see him every once in a while and get to learn from him um and he taught me how to make damascus and he's taught me a lot about knife design and handle design and ergonomics and kind of all that stuff um Brilliant. so he's the guy who i've had the yeah he's the guy who i've had the most shop time with uh, but i've also had uh, a mentor in daniel o'malley who uh he's, he's the owner of blade gallery and he was the first apprentice of bob kramer hmm. um and he owns Blade Gallery, which is a knife store that was, I think, 15 minutes from my house in Seattle. Um, and so every time I finished a knife uh, from, how oh, must have been probably, oh, I think probably February or, or March of 2016. Every time I finished a knife, I'd bring, o- bring it over to him for him to critique it. Um, and so he taught me all kinds of stuff on finishing techniques and teaching how to, you know, hide my mistakes a little bit better and stuff like that. Um, and then as well, he taught me all about the geometry behind uh, kitchen knife edges and the, the bevels and everything like that. Um, so mm-hmm. that was another fantastic resource to have someone so close by and just such a wealth of knowledge to help me out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's such a great way to learn as well, to have such, such great bladesmiths on your doorstep there, you know? Yeah, it's definitely very, very, uh, very convenient, and it it definitely helped me progress quite a bit more. 
So, so tell us about some of those mistakes that you've learned from. I mean, maybe they can help some of our listeners down the road too. Oh man, one of them is the one that just came to mind when you said that is an embarrassing one that I just <laughs> now uh, am fixing. I have a tendency to drop knives all the time when I'm working at them, just like bringing them in and out of the vise. Mostly mm. it's the complicated ones with the, you know, couple piece hidden tang handles or whatever. And for some reason, I just, I always drop them on their tips. Um, so I just put down some rubber matting right uh, in front of my vices. Um, and just yesterday, I dropped this Bowie that I'm working on tip down into the rubber matting, and it was just fine. And it was, it was a fantastic feeling. But Great. I've had knives where I've dropped them, you know, three times in a row on the tip. Great And have tip. to reprofile the edge and re-thin out the edge every single time. Yeah. I think it's I, just I, awful. I think I need some of that rubber matting down by my buffing machine, I think. Because that thing flies. Oh, yeah. That thing makes some knives fly across the shop. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough. I don't think I've ever had a knife fly across the shop, but I've definitely shot some like spacers and hmm. thinner stuff pretty far. I have left some dings and some walls from that thing. <laughs> so, so what would you say is the is the golden advice that you've been given? That one that one tip that you know has really saved you time and it really made you improve that much more. Um, you know, I don't know if it's a phrase that anyone ever said to me, but just just don't cut any corners when you're working on something. It's something that I kind of learned myself from, uh, uh, actually, no, Daniel O'Malley said that to me quite a bit. What am I thinking? Um, anytime that I would, you know, not finish out a blade properly, if I was doing a hand-sanded finish, I wouldn't get out all of the J hooks on the blade. Hmm. Or uh, if I used 15-minute epoxy rather than 24-hour epoxy, or just whatever it was, he'd, he'd just say, Will, don't cut any corners. Um, and, and that really, really made me improve because, you know, if you think about the project as like something that is going to live on for generations and something that you want to be proud of, um, you're a lot more motivated to, uh, you know, make it something that is pretty much aesthetically perfect, which that's kind of the goal for us is we want to make something that to the naked eye, you can't find anything wrong with just about. Hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, starting off for me, it was, more about finishing projects as fast as possible um, and kind of not taking the time to do things right. Um, and so as I started to get those critiques and that advice from different makers, um, learning to just take my time to do things right the first time and to not try to do anything the fast way if it wasn't the right way, um, that's probably been the biggest thing for me in, in learning how to make a, a clean looking knife, I think. Yeah. And I think that's something I suffered with in the past as well. So having, you know, a few orders that you need to get out maybe that week and just, mm-hmm. you know, just always stressing thing, I need to get this done. I need to get this done. You know, it, it took yeah. me it took me a while to sort of step back and say it's done when it's done, you know, and it's about sort of edu- yeah. educating the customer as well to know that, that, you know, if yeah. it, it, it won't be done on Friday, it'll be done when it's done. Um, and, and most people that, you know, they're fine with that because they want the best knife that they can have too, you know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, so where do you see yourself in sort of five to ten years' time? So you've just started this journey with with your own business, and you've got your new shop. Where, where, mm-hmm. where, where are you heading? What's the dream? Well, um, I'm taking a year off from school right now. I last year I went to uh, Montana State University part time, hmm. um, studying business as I'm gaining residency in the state. Um, but really, I'd like to. Uh, I like to be able to continue doing custom work, but I'd also like to have a production knife company um, where things can be a little bit, um, I can outsource everything um, and not have to worry about 
doing the, the day-to-day things on knives um, and just kind of be able to put them together and ship them out. Um, uh, I'd like to do that with, with chef's knives for the most part, just because I think that's what I know best. Mm, yeah. um, and I think it's something that um, there's not really a huge amount of kind of mid-tech uh chef's knives in america right now there's a bunch of japanese makers that do it and there's there's a couple people in america that do it bradford knives is one of them the owner of that is a is a friend of mine um he's in washington as well actually um but he's kind of like one of the only ones that i can really think of um there's really not a whole lot of uh you know mid-tech like high-end nice steel nice handles um chef's knives uh in like the like 250 to like 350 dollar range and that's kind of where i'd like to kind of like where i would i'd like to sit at and uh and get some knives going in that range uh, a little bit easier yeah yeah but funnily enough i was was speaking to my wife this weekend because i'm I'm having that struggle at the moment of sort of marketing where like yourself i want to have a product so i've just started doing these steak knives so you know they're being laser cut which i'm being completely honest with um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, I'm grinding the bevels and doing all the rest of it there. So they're sort of semi-production knives. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it's really hard to market that because obviously you want to market yourself as as a maker. Um, you also yep. want to market yourself as professionally as possible, but you don't want to come across as sort of a big, big company. You know, it's, it's, it's just yep. I'm really struggling with that at the moment. So so once you've worked that out, drop me an email. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Uh, yeah, it's something that, that I've struggled with as well. I don't know if you saw, I did a, uh, kind of a similar thing. I didn't, didn't market it so good. I, uh, I had, I think 16, uh, blades, laser jet cut out. They were chef's knives though. Hmm. Um, and I had them hardened, uh, and I've kind of been working through them a little bit slowly and I just hated, hated doing them for some reason. I don't know if it was (laughs) the, uh, the kind of like repetitiveness of it and the fact that it like wasn't challenging me at all but it was also like took a long time and I had to pay attention to it there's just something about it that just drove me up the wall um and so uh the other thing about those were um is I think people I I like to be seen as as a bladesmith and so doing just stock removal for my work at least I don't think is quite as appealing to people Hmm. as uh as doing like hand forged knives because if you say like it's a hand forged knife i think that definitely adds like some some value to it and it adds some appeal to it um well actually i think i think it depends but for i think for some people it adds that appeal um and also it's so much fun (laughs) yeah i mean all everything that i do is stock removal um mm-hmm. i simply don't have the space really to, you know to, to forge or the, yeah. i don't have the skill that's the, the you know that that's that's the main thing i don't have the skill um so when i well, see you got you got to start somewhere no one starts off as a perfect bladesmith yeah i suppose so but you know when i see, when i see the likes of you guys you know and it, it just looks like so much fun um but yeah one day i'll get around to it one day i'll get there <laughs> the thing about that is that i think stock removal is actually a much much more efficient way of knife making Hmm. with forging you have the first off forging time um and then you have to do all the thermal cycling after forging and then you have to do the straightening process and you have to get everything flat and you know get good references after the forging process whereas with stock removal really all you have to do is cut it away and you have good flat references and it's much easier to grind clean bevels and everything like that um 
So as far as like running an actual business, I think I think that stock removal is a much better way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think forging opens up a lot more opportunities for you. You have uh, a little bit more kind of wiggle room, and you can you know start with big stock and work it down into small stock. You can do integrals in Damascus and stuff like that. But I think as far as as from a business perspective goes, stock removal is kind of the way to go. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I want to have some fun, too. So so one day I'm going to get that's, that. <laughs> that's true. No, yeah, you're right. So so what's your, your current setup? So you said you've got your new shop. So is that mm-hmm. at home or is it an industrial unit or a shared space? How does that work? Um. So it's kind of an interesting space. It's kind of in the it's like 20 minutes outside Bozeman, which is um the big bigger city in the in the Gallatin Valley, which is where I'm at. Um, and I am in a apartment up above my landlord's house. And then there's two shops on the property. Um, and I am in one of those uh, 900 square foot shops. So it's, it's a kind of a live work situation. Nice. Um, which is, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Is it a case of having to having to sort of down tools at a certain time not to disturb the landlord, or is it is he pretty easy about the the noise? You know, they're they're pretty awesome. They're pretty okay about it. Um, my so like I said, there's two shops, and my shop is on the far side of the other shop. It's in between the house, um, and so they are they have a little bit of a buffer there, so it's not not so bad for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I haven't. I mean, I, I haven't done like any forging or anything at like three a.m. <laughs> yeah. Uh, usually, usually if I'm if I'm up late at the shop, it's uh it's pretty much just doing finish work or uh, but I can run my belt sander and stuff just fine, and no one seems to care at all. So that's yes. good. Let's talk about one of our sponsors, Tormac. To get great razor sharp and repeatable edges, you're gonna need a Tormac. To find out more, go to Tormac.com. Is T-O-R-M-E-K dot com. Okay, let's get back to the show. So is everything forged by hand or do you have a, a power hammer or a press or anything like that at all? So I do. I have I have a power hammer and a press, um, but my power hammer needs um, a good bit of work on it. It's a mechanical power hammer. It's a Fairbanks Model E, so it's a 150-pound ram, which is a pretty, pretty good size. Mm. Um, but there's a couple things that are wrong with it uh, that need to get repaired. Um, and so I fortunately made friends with a guy named Kevin Willie, who's kind of like one of the most knowledgeable mechanical power hammer guys in, in North America. Um, and he's going to be helping me out getting that thing up and running. Um, and then my hydraulic press, um, I had it working at my old shop, but um, it's hardwired in. Mm. And so it was hardwired in. So we got it out and I, I ended up actually moved it into the new shop, out of the old shop and into the new one by myself, which was uh, a bit of an ordeal as it weighs, I think, 900 pounds. <laughs> wow. Um, so uh, I got into the new shop, um, but I just need to get, get it all wired up, which should happen in the next couple of weeks or so. Yeah. Um, I have I have a lot of knives to finish before then, so I'm not too worried about it. But after that, I've got some, some Crewforge V round stock that I'm going to need to turn into some some workable size. So. I'm definitely going to need it to to work that down. Yes, yeah. So, so what's on the shopping list, sort of gear wise, for the new shop? Oh man, well, I just ordered a uh, an a uh, personalizer and an electro etcher. Hmm. Um, yeah. Which I've had an electro etching stencil and maker's mark for the past like year and a half, 
However, I've always had friends nearby who have those um, marking machines, so I haven't had to have one. Hmm. Um, but uh, getting ready for a blade show here in a little bit, um, which I'm just going to be walking around, but I still want to have some knives with me. Um, although I'm only going to have one that isn't claimed. I don't think I'll sell it, though, since I'm, I don't want to be a, a brown bagger, as people <laughs> say. Um, <laughs> I just want to have it to show because it's a cool knife. Uh, yeah. But... Um, so I have a couple of knives that I need to mark before then. And my friend who is in Bozeman, who has the electro etching machine that I've been using, just went on a two week road trip. Um, and so it was kind of a, a kick in the pants to get that, the machine. So it's really not, not, not bad for me since I finally will have it and can mark my knives whenever I want to. Uh, but um, yeah, so I, that's, I want, I'm, got that on the list uh and that's actually on its way right now um i would really really like to get a surface grinder and a mill and uh a lathe uh there's just kind of all kinds of stuff that i want to get <laughs> i think yeah. every everybody's shopping list is pretty much the same it's just endless always endless yeah pretty much <laughs> so i wouldn't so, mind a big big bandsaw too that'd be really nice a metal cutting bandsaw yeah or for wood yeah yeah mm-hmm. nice. uh well uh, well, like Salem Straub has one that was a woodcutting bandsaw, um, but he, I don't know, he's some sort of mechanical wizard. He geared it, <laughs> geared it down so it can cut metal and wood. Um, and oh, so nice. it's just this massive machine and he can, you know, cut through big billets of Damascus into like tiles for mosaics and stuff right now. Um, and he does that just super easy with this thing. Man, so. I need one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so who are your customers? Are they are they local or are they via the web? How, how are you getting your customers? Um, yeah, they're pretty much uh, exclusively through Instagram. Or I've also sold a few knives through Blade Gallery in Kirkland. Um, but I do very, very few local sales just because hmm. I haven't really gone to any of the gun shows around here or anything like that, which is probably the place where I'd sell them the most. Um, yeah, really, really through the web. I've actually, I've kept a map of the United States and everywhere that I've sold knives. Um, and it's probably to like 15 states now. Um, for some reason, I have had a lot of customers from Alabama and Georgia. Uh, and then I've sent knives to New York, Philadelphia, California, Texas, um, Oregon, and then quite a few in Washington as well. Um, Hmm. But so, yeah, but main, mainly in the states. Okay, that, I mean that was my yeah. next my next question as well, actually, about exhibiting at shows. But you said you haven't really done too much of that. Um, I've been to one knife show where I was exhibiting, and actually, I guess one just one knife show in general. Um, it was at the Eugene show, um, in 2017. I shared a table with Salem Straub. It was actually it was just a blast, man. <laughs> um, there's it's it's a pretty small show, and there's a lot of like there's probably only a dozen maybe 15 custom makers there um but the guys who were there were just incredible Mareko Mamasi was there at Salem Straub David Lish um and his wife and apprentice um Bill Burke was there uh man who else was there Ian Hayburn was there um so, so that's a bit daunting Nguyen was there a bit daunting for a first um, for a first show then maybe <laughs> yeah although I had met uh quite a few of those guys beforehand and you know you've had some of those guys on your show they're just the nicest guys on the planet you know don don Nguyen, Mareko Mamasi have both yeah. been on the show um yes. they're just fantastic guys so there is usually an event after each night um barbecue or 
whatever it was. Uh, and so I got to, got to hang out and talk with those guys, which was just a blast. They're just super nice guys and obviously incredible makers. So, mm. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about your knives specifically now. So do you have a, do you have a favorite seal that you like to work with? Um, I am partial to crew forge V. Mm. Um, not sure why. Um, it's terrible to forge. It's terrible to finish. It's terrible to grind. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I like it. Mm. What about yeah. handle materials? Is it synthetic or natural? Do you have a, a preference there? You know, I as as I get more into knife making, I'm really just building up a true hatred for synthetic materials. I just <laughs> I love love natural materials. Um, Me too. I've been yeah. playing. Yeah, I've been playing around with a couple different ones. Um, I think overall, Cocobolo is probably my favorite. It's just, um, it's a fantastic kitchen knife handle material with how stable it is and the fact that the oils in it kill germs. That's like mm. the coolest thing on the planet to me. Yeah. Um, and it's also just so beautiful and you can get some really crazy cuts of it with, you know, great figure in it. Um, but there's so many great woods out there. Um, this this Bowie that I'm working on right now, I'm, I have a ring to Gigi handle on it and it's just fantastic. Uh, and then there's Tasmanian blackwood, ironwood, koa. Uh, Those are probably all my favorites right yeah, there. Yeah, and they, they all finish so beautifully too, don't they? You know, polish them up. They're just mm-hmm. beautiful to look at. For sure, yeah. So most of your customers, I'm assuming, are going for carbon blades. Um, do, yeah. Are you doing any stainless at all? Um, just those just those AEBL um, chef's knives that I did. Mm-hmm. But other than that, not really. I haven't done any like custom stainless. Oh wait, 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 no, that's wrong. I did an M390, uh, an M390 kind of like everyday carry utility knife kind of thing for a, a loyal customer who's become a good friend of mine. Um, mm. Usually I wouldn't do it, but he's he's become a good friend, so I decided to go for it. Yeah, it's definitely something I'm seeing more and more people asking for stainless. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's just because it's, I don't know, more and more sort of home chefs that think, you know, investing in, in a knife and they prefer a stainless as opposed to a professional mm-hmm. who knows how to look after a carbon knife. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's, it's most of my inquiries now are stainless. And that that's changed over the last, I'd say, maybe six months, where it was always, really? ca- always carbon before. So, yeah, so it's, hmm. yeah, things things are changing out there. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your your process. Um, are you are you heat treating straight from the forge, or do you use an oven, or you know what's what's your setup there? Yeah, I don't have an oven yet, so I'm just kind of magnets in my eye is how I is how I figured figured yeah. out what uh what temperatures to quench at and stuff like that. And so far, I've gotten pretty dang good results, um, with the exception of one steel, which is a proprietary steel made in Salt Lake City, very very similar to fifty two one hundred. Um, and I had quite a bit of trouble with that one. Um, but as far as like Crew Forge V, 1080, 1075 go, um, I've gotten pretty pretty dang good results with that. Really nice tight grain structure, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's all from the forge, all by all by eye. Cool, cool. And sharpening, is that done on the grinder? Um, you know, I've done it a couple different ways. I actually, one of my first knife making tools, my grandfather got me a Tormek, um, which was just a fantastic tool and that that helped out quite a bit um in getting really fantastic edges early on um recently um i use that pretty much exclusively for chef's knives um mm. and for other stuff i've been doing um either on the belt sander or 
playing around with water stones, which, as it turns out, I'm terrible at using. <laughs> well, I've just seen, actually, Tormac have just released a, a new grinder specifically for chef knives. Which is, oh, really? So it was their, their, their standard T4, but they've, they've sort of adapted it. They've got new jigs and so on, uh, specifically for chef knives, which I think is only about two weeks ago they launched that. Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I haven't seen that. That's nice. I'm excited to have a look at that. But um, yeah, I use the Tormek too. I use the T8, and I love it. I absolutely love it. That's fantastic. Cool. Yeah, they're great. I need to get a new wheel for mine. It's worn down after. Oh, I guess. Yeah, I think it's been five years that I've had it. It's a T3, and right. they don't make that model anymore. Right. Um, and the wheel is at like. Oh, it's like right at the edge of where I need to replace it. It's pretty dang small at this point yeah well i, I don't know if they do because they, they, they do a, a japanese stone now the white stone so i'm not sure mm-hmm. if they'll do that for the t3 as well but that thing is awesome the edges are yeah. super polished that it's beautiful beautiful okay so, so let's let's finish with the same question that i ask everybody on the show which is whose work are you loving at the moment who whose work are you find it inspirational oh man um well i think I'm legally obligated to say Nick Wheeler. Um, right? <laughs> there goes the alarm. There goes the <laughs> So uh, he just has such clean work. It's very, very inspiring. Um, but as far as um, – he, I mean, he doesn't do a ton of output right now. Um, but right now, I just – I absolutely love the knives of, uh, again, a lot of your guests. Mareko Mamasi is definitely one of my favorite chef's knife makers. Um did you see Joe Hazenberg? Did you see the Damascus billet that Morocco put on yesterday? The, yes, the pattern that on that. Incredible. Really, really incredible. He's a fantastic pattern welder. Really yes. amazing. Amazing stuff. Um yeah, so um obviously Morocco, what a guy. Um Joe Hazenberg is another one. He's I believe up in up in Ireland. Um and he just does just these incredible handles. Um yeah, they're very, very inspiring as well. Um, and then, oh man, there's <laughs> there's so many people. Salem Straub, obviously, he does mm-hmm. some of the most incredible Damascus I've ever seen. Um, and then I absolutely love the work of the DeRosiers up in Alaska. They're just wow. Um, I don't know if you if you follow them so much, but Haley DeRosiers put out a keyhole integral with a carbon fiber. Um, I think I saw that just Handle. yesterday. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I can't even imagine trying to fit that thing up. Talk about, you know, going bald from stress. Hmm. Holy cow. <laughs> um, anyway, so the, the, and that's a husband and wife combo, Haley and Adam. They're both yeah. absolutely amazing. And then uh, down in Brazil, there's Julian Antes and Rodrigo Sfredo are both, Sfredo, are both uh, just, just incredible makers um, doing some really, really amazing stuff. Um, so those are kind of my uh, kind of my favorites right now. I think your go to. Yeah. Well, thank mm-hmm. you so much for taking the time out. Um, it's been great speaking with you, and I'm just really excited to see what comes out of your new workshop. Well, thank you very much, Craig, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been it's been a good time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.